Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your son's blood that he shed on the cross speaks for us that because of him we can stand redeemed, justified, that there's no more condemnation. The victory is ours through Jesus Christ. As we lift him up and praise his name this morning, God, we just ask your blessing. Thank you so much for this sweet time of worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is a true joy and privilege to be a part of the worship service today. Usually, I am downstairs preaching to the kids. And I think it's probably been, Pastor Ken's probably been about eight months since I've been in the main worship service. And I've missed it. Just the song time, praising the Lord together with the body of Christ, uh, it blessed me. And I hope that God was honored. I know he was. So some of you may not know who I am uh, since I haven't been up here for eight months. (laughs) Uh, My name is Josh Plunk. I'm the children's pastor here at Bethel. And I've been here since 2003, believe it or not. This is my 20th year. And uh, really thankful, really would not want to do anything else. Some people ask me when I'm going to be moving up to whatever next position, not going to take Pastor Ken's job. And you know what? My mind is, I love the kids, and this is what God's called me to do, so I'm thankful for um, the chance to be here and to help your children know Jesus better. Uh, The picture on the screen is my family. Many of you know Michelle. She's the supervisor in in the uh, nursery. And then I have five wonderful boys that God's blessed us with. Thanks for for many of you that that have prayed for them and pray for us often. And then we have one foster daughter, Alice, and that's why her face is blurred, because she's our foster daughter. And we know this, this uh, is going to be streamed online today. Um, and some of you, I know what you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. You guys are crazy. That's what you're thinking, okay? Uh, and I would have to agree, yes, that we are crazy about training the next generation for the glory of Jesus. So we love children in our home and here in our church, and are privileged to, to help raise them. So, thank you. Um, I w- I also want to take this chance to um, promote a few things that are becoming up in our children's ministry. Pastor Ken, one of the reasons why he asked me to, to be here today to, to share the word is to uh, expose the church a little more to our children's ministry. And uh, we have some things coming up. Specifically, many of you are, have already heard about Vacation Bible School called Kookaburra Coast. And that's going to be July 11th from 9 a.m. to noon. And that's for any four-year-old to fifth grade. So I invite you to come as your family, uh, invite friends down the street, anyone that's welcome to come. And our VBS is known for two things, a couple things. First of all, it's known as the free VBS. We do not charge anything for kids to come. And then it's known as the evangelistic VBS because every day the gospel is shared with these kids. And Pastor Ken, I'm thankful, is going to be willing to do the lesson each day. So uh, really looking forward to a great week. Uh, we still need help if you're willing, if you're able to be free, even just as, if it's a short part of that morning, uh, these mornings. You can sign up at the table in the lobby. You can see me afterwards, or Rebecca Koo also is helping with the volunteers for VBS. We specifically need help with the, uh, from the adults for um, helping usher the kids to and from craft time to snack time to Bible lesson time, just overseeing supervision. So if you're willing to help with that, let us know. 
And then we also have an opportunity to, uh, to pray. We can all pray together for VBS. If you, if you can't serve for VBS, then I hope that you'll, at least, that you'll at least pray. And pray specifically that the kids that come to VBS will hear the gospel and be converted and be changed for the glory of God. Uh, there's also an opportunity on July 25th through the 30th for our kids to go to Camp Manitoumi. It's a new camp that we've tried last year for the first time, July 25th through the 30th. That's in anyone who's in third through sixth grade. $320 per person is the cost. We do have scholarship money that's been donated uh, that helps families that can't afford to go. And if you want to register at manitoumi.com. All right? So see me if you have any other questions about that. We've got, already got about 30 kids going this year. Uh, it's it's going to be exciting. And then many of you already know about our Kids for Truth Clubs. It's a ministry that we have on Wednesday nights. And I'm going to ask Julia to come on. Go ahead and come on up here, Julia. Um, kids for Truth is, a, is a, a program for kids to help them learn better who God is and the core doctrines and themes of the Bible. And so we meet every Wednesday night from 6 to 7.15. And this is for kids who are age 4 to 5th grade. Uh, the kids enjoy learning doctrinal truths about God and the Bible. There's verse memorization. We play games, obviously, because you can't have kids' ministry without games. And then we do some singing and, and learning uh, verse, songs that go along with the verses. I have Julia here, and she's actually going to recite a few of the truths or verses that the kids memorize on Wednesday nights. And I really appreciate her coming and being willing to do this. Are you ready, Julia? Are you nervous? You are? Okay, that's all right. They're all nervous for you, okay? So step up a little closer. Go. All right. So I'm just going to ask her some simple questions here that she's already memorized, and then she's going to give you the answer to the question, and then also be able to provide uh, proof from the Bible, okay? So the first question, uh, our theme right now we're talking about is God's gift of salvation. And Julia, question number one is, what is salvation? Salvation is God's deliverance of sinners from their sin through faith in Jesus Christ's substitutionary death on the cross. All right, and the Col- Colossians 2.14 is the verse? Canceling the record of debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. Very good. And second question, in whom alone must we trust for salvation? We must trust in Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ alone, for salvation. And Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name by which we must be saved. And then our last question, number three, how can God justly declare sinners righteous. When sinners put their faith in Jesus, they are united with him so that his righteousness counts for them. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Let's give her a hand. Thank you, Julia. And so these kids are coming in every Wednesday, and they're memorizing these truths and reciting them. And yes, there's, there's awards that they can earn, but they're walking away with these core doctrinal truths that they memorize and Bible verses that go along with it. And so I love Kids for Truth ministry on Wednesday nights. And if you have children yourself that are 4th to 5th grade, um, or if you know kids that this would be something helpful for them, then I encourage you to invite them and get them involved every Wednesday, 6 to 7.15, during the adult Bible study that we have in the chapel. Um, okay, uh, I also want to take advantage of this pulpit opportunity to share some areas of need that we have in the children's ministry. I don't know if that's what your plan was for this, me being up here, but I, I, we need some help, okay? So here's a few areas of need that I'm just letting you know about if you're willing and able. First of all, at our nursery. 
Uh, my wife, again, she's a supervisor in the nursery, and she could use some help uh, with meeting some needs in the in- infant to three years of age group, and that's just a once-a-month commitment. So if you are interested in helping in the nursery, uh, this, is, this is men, uh, sorry, not, not men, it's just women, um, then, then you need to speak to my wife, and she's right down here in front in the, the white shirt. And then uh, Children's Church is uh, another need, and that's ages four to eight, and that commitment is twice a month. Then we have Wednesday Night Kids for Truth, as we already mentioned. I could always use more help listening to Bible verses as the kids recite them. And then all we, we already mentioned to VBS, July 11, 15th, 9 a.m. to noon. If anything, just pray, okay? All right, our text today. Can you get your Bibles out? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be some pew Bibles, maybe not right in front of you, but around where you're sitting, the purple Bibles. And the page for that is 976 in the pew Bibles, 976. But Ephesians chapter 2 is going to be our text today. By the way, really happy to have the deaf group with us today, the Bethel deaf. Uh, So glad to have you guys today. You're not often in here, so we're glad to have you. And Pastor Mark, good to have you. His birthday was yesterday. So be sure to wish him happy birthday. Um, but just to be good to be together as, as, a body, as, as a body of Christ, worshiping and learning about him today. All right, so you found Ephesians 2? We'll start reading in just a moment. But I have a question for you this morning. First question is, how is your posture towards God? Now that question's phrased a little bit differently, but on purpose. How is your posture towards God? Meaning... What is your view of how you stand before him? Your position with God. What is your posture? Okay. Second question. How is your posture towards sin in relation to God? Does it make you sad? Sin. Does it make you sad? Does it make you angry? Does it make you indifferent? Sadly, that's the response to sin sometimes. Oh, not a big deal. Or I don't care. Well, the Bible says that we are dead. Dead in our sin. I'd like to look at our our text. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse number 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, by the way, that children of wrath phrase is not referring to us when we were kids and we lost our temper and and threw a fit, all right? It refers to how we are all deserving of God's wrath. Okay, but these verses lay out pretty clearly how we should, how how our posture should be towards sin. That we are dead. Romans five verse twelve says, "Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned." Psalm fifty one verse five. Behold. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, 
and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Romans 3, 9 to 18. I'd like you to turn there, please. Romans 3. Hold your place in Ephesians 2 because we're going to come back to it. But go to Romans 3. Again, if you have a pew Bible, it's page 940. Romans 3, verses 9, verse 9 to 18. And while I'm reading these pas- this passage, I would like for you to try to notice or even underline, if you have a pen handy, all the nuns or the no ones or the alls. In just these nine, ten short verses, notice all the nuns, all the no ones, and all the alls, the, all the absolutes. Here we go. Romans 3, verse number 9. God's word says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open uh, grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now skip down to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've just read, I don't know, 15 plus verses from the Bible that help us see how our posture should be towards sin. That we are filthy rags, that we are nothing, that we are completely dead apart from Christ. How does that affect you? How, how, how do, what is, does that impact you at all? Does that, does that humble you? Does that hurt you? Does that help you maybe understand our relationship with God a little bit better? And all these verses, <clears throat> excuse me, all these verses show the universality of, of our sin, how it is upon everyone. No, not one. And specifically in verse 23 of Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 we just read, I want us to understand how this verse teaches us how sin separates us from God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's God, here's heaven, here's perfectness. And here we are separated because of the wrong that we've done that everyone has done. And I teach the kids to go like this. Sin separates us from God. I'm going to have you guys do that with me. Ready? Get ready. We're going to do it. Class participation. Ready? Sin separates us from God. This is the sad news of the bad news. I don't necessarily like to share it, but Jesus shared it, and the Bible talks about it. So we need to make sure we understand that because of the sin we've done, we come short of God's glory. We are separated from God because of our sin. And this is the problem. This is the deadness that we're talking about. And if we continue in life separated from God, it means forever eternal death in the lake of fire. It's a reality. And I hope that you, if you haven't already, 
realize your deadness and your separation are understanding that better today. Let's continue in our text, Ephesians chapter 2. Go back there, please. Ephesians 2, verse number 4 and 5. But God, excuse me, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. But God. So verse 1 through 3, we're dead, we're completely worthless. And then verse 4 comes along, but God. I'm so glad that those two words are there because otherwise we would be hopeless. We would be dead and completely lost. But God. And not just but God, but God who is rich in mercy. You know what it means to be rich. Well, maybe some of you don't know what it means to be rich, but we know, we know people that are rich that, that have a lot of stuff and they, they, there's no problems as far as making purchases. They can buy whatever they want. Well, God is rich in mercy. He's got plenty of it. Because of his great love that he died for us, that made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. I brought with me today an AED, automatic external defibrillator. You guys know about these? We have several of these on campus, and they're important in case someone has a heart attack or passes out, and we can help uh, revive them. So you take the little pads, you put one on their, excuse me, you put one on their chest, one on the, the rib, and then you have everyone clear, and you push the button, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> and it shocks their heart. And this, this, you use this on someone who, whose heart has stopped. Someone who's, who's died, okay? Salvation is a defibrillator. We are dead. Apart from Christ, we are dead. And salvation comes, Jesus comes, and he shocks us. He, he brings us back alive. You've seen the movies. <gasps> you, know, comes to, you know, someone comes like, <gasps> you know, the heart starts beating again. Well, that's what Jesus does for us when it comes to our sin. He shocks us. He, he brings, because of salvation, he brings us alive. He makes us alive. We're not dead anymore. Make sure I close this back up before it shocks us. Here, just leave it. Now look at verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So going back to the AED uh, analogy, the defibrillator analogy, not only have we, have we got our life back, our heart's been shocked and we're alive now, but now we get to have breakfast in bed and get massages every day and have our life paid for. We don't have to work another day in our life. I mean, we're just sitting pretty. But that's what salvation does. Your heart's never going to stop beating again. You're never going to die and be dead in your sins again. That's the power of the gospel. 
That's the power of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, to save us, to rescue us, to make us alive. And I love this passage. And then it mentions here again the immeasurable riches, not just of His mercy, but of His grace. Endless, that word immeasurable means endless, limitless grace. You know, for something to be measurable, right? You have the measuring cups that you use to measure. You're making some cookies or something, and it says uh, third cup of of water, all right? So you go, you take your little measuring cup to the sink, and you get it right up to the third cup, third, fourth, the three-fourths cup, and you get it just exactly right. You measured it right. Well, you know what immeasurable would be or endless, limitless would be? would be trying to measure after the fire hydrant's been opened up. You ever seen the guys clean out the fire hydrants, drain them out, and the water just spews out? Well, imagine trying to measure water in a little glass measuring cup from a fire hydrant. That's God's limitless, endless, immeasurable grace. It just keeps coming just like a fire hydrant. So, in verse 4, we have, but God, who's rich in mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And then we have in verse 6 and 7, he's rich in grace. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. It can be a little, little confusing, the difference between mercy and grace. Uh, it's like two sides to a coin, but they are different. So, We like to reward our kids. We like to do special treats, but not when they've been bad, right? It doesn't make sense to give a treats or a special toy or take them to a restaurant or do something nice for them if they've been naughty. But that's what mercy is. Or sorry, that's what grace is, is when you're giving something they don't deserve. Mercy would be, well, I know you deserve this punishment, whatever it would be, consequence. You've been naughty, time out, whatever it is. I'm not going to give that to you. That's mercy. And then grace would be, let's go to Chick-fil-A. What? Dad, I just mouthed off to mom. Okay, but I'm going to show you some grace, just like God does to us. And you're not going to do it again, right? Right, Dad. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Not getting what we do deserve is mercy. Getting what we don't deserve is grace. And God is rich in both immeasurable And if that doesn't bless your blesser today, then your blesser is broken. That should get us excited. That should make us thankful. That should make us excited and and praising God. Now let's look at verses 8 and 9 of our text. I have it on the screen. You can look at it on on your Bible verse and your Bibles in front of you. But the verse I have on the screen is a little bit different wording. So it's up to you which one you want to look at. In verse 8 and 9, these are very popular verses. I talk to the kids about all the time. And um, it's because they're so important to the gospel, understanding that this salvation, accessing this grace and this, this mercy, cannot happen by what we do. It only happens through what God does. Let's look at it. Verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from your own doing. It's not your own selves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the first part there, for it is by grace. 
There's our word. It's because of grace, us getting things that we don't deserve, specifically when it comes to salvation, that we have been saved. And then it says, through faith. How many of you still have uh, satellite TV or, or cable TV where you have all the channels? Channels, channels, channels. You got like 300 channels. Or are those completely gone nowadays? It's just streaming services now. You just do Disney Plus and there's no channels. Okay. I'm not getting much response this morning, but that's okay. <clears throat> you get the idea of channels, right? You go through the channels. Well, that channel, that one channel, CBS, ABC, is the channel that that TV station has to funnel through their broadcasts, their TV shows, their news. And then you go to the next channel. And then the next channel. And then 300 others. Well, the one channel, there's one channel through which we are saved. Not multiple ones, okay? Hear me. There's a lot of people in the world who think there's many ways to get saved. That is not true. There's only one channel through which salvation comes, and that is through what? Faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There's not multiple channels. And then it says this not from yourselves. This channel, faith, can't come from yourself. This gift or this grace that you've been saved cannot come from yourself. John MacArthur, I can't go through a sermon without quoting him. He quotes, this refers to the entire previous statement of salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That this word refers to the entire statement of salvation that was previous, not only the grace, but the faith. Not just the grace is the gift, but the faith is a gift. Although men are required to believe for salvation, even that faith is part of the gift of God, which saves and cannot be exercised by one's own power. God's grace is preeminent in every aspect of salvation. Romans 3.20, Galatians 2.16. So the point here is this. Yeah, okay, so I understand that salvation is by grace we've been saved. That only comes through, that only comes through God. It's not by me. But even the faith part. I think sometimes we think, okay, well, I, 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 I choose to believe in God. The Bible says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, God says. God has to give you that faith to believe. That is a gift. It's not just the the grace that we can't do by ourselves, the salvation can we do by ourselves, but even the faith to receive salvation, God has to give that to us. So maybe you're struggling with salvation and you don't know if you're saved or not. Ask God to give you the faith to believe. Because all that comes from God. And then it says, it is the gift of God. You guys understand what a gift is. A gift is something that you don't have to earn. Uh, Christmas time, we get gifts. Birthday, we get gifts. It's not a gift if you have to earn it. You have to work for it. All the time, I'll ask people, um, why did Jesus die on the cross if you can earn your way to heaven? And they look at me like, I don't know. Then that's a good question. Why did Jesus die if I can earn my way to heaven? That's just the point. He died because you can't earn your way to heaven. He died so that you could be saved. And then it says, so that no one can boast. Because God doesn't want us to walk around saying, see, 
I did it. I was good enough. I got just enough works done that were good, and I attained salvation myself. The whole idea is it's a work of God. If you can get a hold of these verses, even memorize them and understand them, then salvation, you'll begin to understand. These are key for salvation. I have two questions for you this morning. Question number one, when do you purposely think about putting faith in something? I want you to think real quick, just for a second. When do you purposely think about putting faith in something? Not when you came and sat down in your pew today, right? You didn't purposely think, okay, let me make sure it's screwed down right and the wood's not rotted before I sit in it. Did you? No. You just... So that's just like basic general faith. But I'm talking about faith when you actually, okay, I got to really trust now right now because I'm not sure this is going to work out. I got to really have faith. Not necessarily just in God, but maybe in like a rope bridge, or maybe like on a roller coaster. <laughs> Anyone been there? Okay, I don't know if I can do this. I'm going to have to really have good faith right now that this roller coaster was put together right and those screws aren't going to come undone. Here's the second question, question number two. Why do you sometimes purposely think about putting your faith in something? Why is it that you have to intentionally put your faith in that and, and focus your faith in that rope bridge? And trust that the rope's not going to break or that the roller coaster's not going to break. Why? Well, maybe you're wondering if the object or the person might fail. Or maybe you're wondering if the object or person might not be worthy of your faith. Well, let me tell you, faith demands trust that the object of our faith will not fail. Trust is the reason we put our faith in things. God will not fail us. Is, your, is this your posture towards God? Is this your view of God? And it all comes back to the gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. But what is the gospel? I've got a definition here that I think is a pretty good one. The good news, that's the gospel. Not the bad news, but the good news that Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, is able to save mankind from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. That's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That is what the gospel is. And the gospel can be summed up really in five basic things, and I've shared them here before, but I don't want to assume that everyone here knows what the gospel is. And we should make sure that anytime we have people coming into our church, that at some point the gospel is shared. So that's what we're doing here today. If you've never heard this before, then listen up, because the gospel is key for salvation. The gospel is key for the Christian life to work. Number one, you have to understand God rules. Number two, understand that we have sinned. God is holy, he's in control, and we are not that we are what? Separated from him. That is so important to understand that we are broken, lost, that, that, we, are, that we need a savior. Why would, why would you take a, a pill 
to cure a disease that you don't think you have. Someone says, hey, I think, I think, you look, I think you're sick and you're going to die soon. Here, take this pill. I'm not, I'm not sick. I'm not going to die. <sighs> Get out of here. Or if a well-known doctor comes in, walks into the waiting room or the, the patient room and says, I can give you 10 clear reasons right now why I know you're going to die in the next six months unless you take this pill. Now we got reason to take it, right? We know we have a need. We know we're lost. We know that we're sick. This is foundational, understanding that God rules and we don't, that God is holy and we are not. If you, if you think that you're okay, I'm not that bad of a person or that I'm good as God or I can get to God myself, then you're not gonna be able to become a Christian You're not going to be able to get saved. Salvation is not going to be yours. Heaven cannot be attained. Number three, God provided. And how did he provide? Did he send a bunch of superheroes down in capes to save us from our sin? No, he sent one person in the form of his son, Jesus, who died and took all the sins of the world, yours and mine, and paid for us. He provided the way. That's number four, leads us to number four. Jesus gives, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated, he displayed, he showed his love. And that while we were still dead in our sin, Christ died for us. And then lastly, number five, we respond. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I have a picture to show you here. I have this in my office. I use this all the time to talk to the kids about the gospel, about salvation. And it might be not too easy to see. I know the picture up here is little, and this is maybe a little blurry because you know how I got this up there? I took a picture of this and blew it up. But I love it. I have kids in my office talking about how they can get saved. I point them to this. So we see the city here. This is the world where we live. And over here, obviously, is what? Heaven. By the way, any kids that are here, this is not actually what it looks like, all right? Okay? There's not an actual bridge-shaped or cross-shaped bridge out there that we got to find to get to God, okay? This is just an artist, artist rendering of, what he, of how he helps us understand the gospel. And we have here down at the bottom the flames, that's the lake of fire. And you have all these people coming from the city, coming from the world, that are headed to the lake of fire. And there's a few, so many less, going over the bridge to God. And you notice the bridge is shaped like a cross. There's nails here. There's even a nail over here. There's really no difference between these people on the cross and all the people going to the lake of fire. There's no difference. They're all sinners, lost, completely dead. But the one difference is the object of their, of their faith. These people, their faith is obviously in what? Jesus. 
Which one of these people are you? Which direction are you headed? Well, I'm telling you right now that if you believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again for your sins, you repent, turn, let go of your life of sin and say, you know what? You see it the way God sees it, ultimately. That is bad. You guys, sin is bad. It is, ah, we need to, we need to stop it. We need to stop sinning. We need to stop uh, loving it and see it the way God sees it and hate it. Turn from that life of sin and self and by faith, accept that what Jesus did on the cross is your only way to be freed from this. And speaking of freedom today, I love the fact that we can celebrate our freedom in Christ, our redemption, that we are set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And then our last verse, I'm running out of time here. You told me I can go to 1230, right? I did see Pastor Brandon's email that said that the food won't, will be ready at noon. I'm like, okay, I, I, got, I got some time, you know. I'm joking. I'll be done in just a minute, or maybe two. Verse number 10 of our text, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, his original masterpiece, his creation that he is working on, this, this craft project that every day you come back and you do a little bit more, and you tweak it here, and you maybe, oh, I don't like how that turned out, and changing it up. We are God's original masterpiece, his workmanship, each one of us, that he is changing, molding, transforming, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. See, it's not just, okay, salvation is done. I got the cross thing down. I've repented. I believe in Jesus. Okay, I'll just sit around, twiddle my thumbs, and I'll wait for Jesus to come back or I'll wait to die. No, that's just the beginning that's where salvation starts. He created us for these good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the same idea that he, he ordained us, he predestined us to be saved, he chose us before the foundations of the world, he also prepared beforehand, predestined, that we should do these good works too. So someone who's saved also is called to follow God and do right. So how many of you got my email about God's chisel? Did you guys get my email about God's chisel, the skit guys? Okay. How many of you watched it? Oh, good, good. Okay, if you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to. They're called the Skit Guys, Tommy and Eddie. They're funny, but they're also serious too. And a lot of their videos you can find on their website, skitguys.com. Uh, they have a lot of videos that are thought-provoking. And there's one specifically called God's Chisel that you gotta check out if you haven't seen it yet. God's Chisel. You can even just go to YouTube and type in God's Chisel. It's got like 11 million, uh, maybe not 11 million, some, some, some kind of big number of views. It's about 11 minutes long. Watch it with your family if you can. But I love this, this video because it, it lays out basically what we're talking about here in verse number 10, that God is changing us and working in our lives and molding us till the day we die. And if anyone here is 90 years old, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, or late into your years, God is continuing to work in your life, even in your 90s. 
I feel like sometimes we think, well, I'm too old to serve God, or I'm too old to read my Bible, or I'm too old to uh, do anything for God, or I don't need to grow anymore. I've, I've arrived, or I've done all I can for God. No. We can, he continues to work on us till the day we die. That's called sanctification. Less and less like the world and sin and self, and more and more like God every day. Till you die. This workmanship, this molding, this shaping, this chiseling that God does in our life to say, hey, you know what? That sin in your life, we got to get rid of it. And it hurts. It might be painful. But are we willing to let go of it for God to accomplish his work in us? Why he even made us? His original masterpiece? I love Romans verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined, determined beforehand, to be conformed to the image of his son. The very reason why he made you was to be like Jesus. If you haven't heard anything else I've said today, your purpose for being on this earth is to be like Jesus. And you can't be like Jesus until you get saved. So that's why I hit so hard on the gospel first. Got to get saved first, and then everything starts from there. Your goal is to be like Jesus in what you say, in what you do, in what you think even. How you act, how you react to that coworker, to that child, to that spouse. Do it like Jesus. I'll ask the question here in a second, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You ask that question before you respond to your spouse about a certain thing. Or you ask that question in your mind before you talk to your boss or that coworker. You'll find yourself doing things a whole lot differently, I guarantee you. What would Jesus do? He's molding us. He's conforming us. He's transforming us. You guys, any Transformer fans out there? Transformers, they change from this to this. Well, he's transforming us. He's changing us to be like his son, Jesus. That's why he made us. So my question is, how are you looking? Are you looking like Jesus? And what you say, and what you do, and how you act and react. Okay, so Pastor Josh, I get it. So we need to get saved, salvation, and then we need to begin living like Jesus. Okay. How do I, how do, I do that? Sounds great. Well, salvation, repent, and believe. But the whole following God thing, how does that happen? Well, at first... It starts with a proper view of who God is. Responding, seeing God the way the seraphim saw him in Isaiah chapter 6 that we read about. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And after Isaiah saw this vision, he responded. His response to this holy, holy, holy was this. I said, woe is me. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. Because he saw God high and lifted up, he humbled himself. It made him realize how horrible he is. And this is what needs to happen for us, for God to work in our life. We've got to get a proper view of God and see our posture to him. And then I love Revelations 4, 8. Holy, holy, holy again, there he goes, is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And there's a Revelation song that I hope that we can sing sometime here. Or maybe we've already sung it. I don't know. But 
And then remind you of 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 that says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. I was challenged recently by another preacher to make sure that I am stressing the importance in my sermons, the pursuit of holiness. By the way, holy means to be set apart, completely different than something else, away from. If I have a bag of Skittles and I pour them out on the table and I want to get all the green ones over here, I'm separating them, right? And so the green's in in the one pile and everything else is over here, completely separate. That's what it means to be holy, set apart from sin. And yes, God is holy, set apart from sin, we know that. But we as Christians have it as, our, our goal should be to pursue that, to go after holiness too, to be like Jesus who was holy. How's your pursuit of holiness? Are you trying to be holy? 1 Peter 2, 21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He lived a holy life on earth. He set the example for us. So let's just follow in his steps. Just like on the beach when the dad is going and putting his footprints down and you got the little child coming behind him and trying to put the footprints in the steps behind him. You know what I'm talking about? Got the picture up here. And that little child is doing the best they can. And they might, they might, that one step might be too far so they don't quite reach it and that foot just gets out of the footprint a little bit and they miss it, but they tried. They did the best they could. And the footprint's way too big for them, but they're doing their best to just follow dad. Are you doing your best to follow Jesus? He understands that we're not robots. We're gonna mess up. We're gonna get out of the footprint sometimes. But let's just follow Christ's example. I don't know how he, I don't know how Jesus would live Well, then ask the question, what would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Walking in his steps, asking what what would Jesus do every step of the way so that we might become like him. Okay, so be like Jesus. I got it. All right, good plan. So uh, ask what would Jesus do? But I don't know what Jesus would do. Okay, well, then go to the Bible. Read your word. Jesus' examples is, is laid out in here. And that's why God's word's so important. And I'm firmly convinced that it starts with a love for God's word. Do you love this Bible? Do you want to know what God has to say to you? And I'm convinced, firmly convinced, that if we love God's word the way we should, then we're going to want to learn it. And then I'm firmly convinced that if we learn it, the power of God's word in our hearts is going to cause us to live it. And I wish I had a fourth L. I'm sorry. If you can come up with one, let me know. But if you live it, then it's going to begin to teach it to others. Love it, learn it, live it, teach it. But I can't stress enough the importance that it starts with a love. Oh, okay, I'll just start reading God's word, word again. Okay, Pastor Josh, I get it. If I want to be like Jesus, I've got to be in God's word. Okay. But if you're not loving God's word, loving God and his word the way you should with all your heart, like the deer who's running through the forest and panting for that water and he comes across the brook and it just laps it up and he's thirsty for it and it satisfies him. That's the way we should hunger for God and his righteousness and his word. And if you hunger for it like that, then you're gonna wanna what? Learn it. And if you learn it, then it's automatically beginning to, to live it. And then when you live the life, when you live a life for God, your testimony is going to have impact on others and it's going to teach. So it comes back to seeing man is sinful and God is holy. 
and it's all about the cross. I got to wrap up here, but I got a song. I'm over time, I'm sorry. I got a song that I want to sing for you. It is my new favorite song, and it's not Big Booger Blues, which is a good song too. Actually, I only think that's a real song. I made it up, but it's called Be Like Jesus. I'm going to sing it for you. And I'm sorry, you got to listen to my poor voice cracking, but it's okay. And then I'm going to have you sing it with me so that you can sound bad with me, okay? I'm going to sing it first, and you're going to join me, all right? It goes like this. I want to be like Jesus, think like Jesus, do what he would do. In every way, everywhere, every day, let his love and grace shine through. I want to be like Jesus so that Jesus will be seen in me. Father, help me be like Jesus. Is that a great prayer? Sing with me. I want to be like Jesus, think like Jesus, do what he would do. In every way, everywhere, every day, let his love and grace shine through. I want to be like Jesus, so that Jesus will be seen in me. Father, help me be like Jesus. Father, it's been a great privilege and joy to talk about the gospel. And how Jesus alone can save by grace through faith. And I thank you, God, that we have the privilege of living to be like Jesus. I pray that everyone here, myself included, we would all respond to your word, the message of the gospel, to not just make sure that we've accepted and believed the gospel, but that the gospel is living out through us, that Jesus Christ is being seen and we're striving to be like Jesus and letting you mold us and shape us into the image of your son. It's a great privilege. It's hard. We're in this world. It's an uphill uphill battle, but we need your help. We cannot do it apart from you. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.